Delving into Dance with Andrew Westall. Throwing open the curtain on those who have made dance part of their life. Conversations about why they love it, how they do it, and what got them there in the first place. Program notes and links at delvingintodance.com. Welcome to the last episode of Season 1 of Delving Into Dance. What started as an experiment and a chance to have broad conversations about dance has really taken off, with thousands of listens to the previous episodes. With your support, you can expect Season 2 in the coming months of 2017. But first, in this episode I interview Alexander Hummel from Le Pate Libre, a company based out of Montreal. Think dance on ice, not figure skating and nothing like Disney on ice, but something that is so unique and thrilling on its own. This is a company that breaks down the barriers between arts and society, art and sport, rethinking ideas of dance and skating. I spoke to Alexander during the company's recent tour to Melbourne with their show Vertical Influences, one of the standout performances of Melbourne Festival 2016. I started by asking what came first, dancing or skating? Skating. Yeah, since uh, I'm three years old, I skate. Uh, I started recreationally just for fun. In Quebec, like every park has a skating rink in the winter. It's just the lawn is flooded and here's an ice rink and it's free. So all kids start very early. Normally boys play hockey, girls um, tend to go toward figure skating. So then after learning on the pond, then you go take lessons. And lots of kids in Quebec take lessons, boys hockey, girl figure skating, and, um, and quite quickly I did figure skating. And uh, very quickly uh, I was uh, kind of recruited in the, the kind of elite trend where they want you to go to the Olympics. That's the goal. So from 9 to 24, I was like really like, all my life was skating, you train all the time, it's private coaches, uh, competitions first at the local level and then you go up to international competitions. So all my life was put into that between 9 and 24 years old. And then uh, a more choreographic approach started with this project. Yeah, wow. That's, it's very interesting in terms of the gender split, in yeah. terms of girls being funneled into figure skating and boys into hockey well it's very traditional like that it, I think it's I, I don't remember a time when it was not like that and it was like that since ever so that even in the when you go in skate shops like the kinds of skates are identified as girl skates and men's skates and the men's skates are hockey skates which are black and look like running shoes a little bit more and girl skates are the skates that we wear in the, in our show uh, that are like they have a heel they look like a a little bit like uh, fancy dancing boots, and uh, so it, men skates, girl skates. So uh, yeah, there's there's something like a very uh, gender related in the choice anybody makes between hockey or figure skating. So moving into like the figure skating, was that a source of tension or a source of like ridicule because you weren't doing something that wasn't. Ice hockey well, or? I remember skating the skating lessons, and at the beginning, 
all the kids learn together in the same courses. And because you just learn to stand up on your skates, so everybody is together. And two years later, maybe the boys go to hockey and the girls figure skating. But I was very, very good uh, little skater. I skated faster than people. Yeah, and I had hockey skates. Yes, I had hockey skates because I was a boy, so I was given those skates. And I was like the best one in my little group. So I got spotted by kind of figure skating recruiters. And then they say to you, uh, hey, you should try those skates. Uh, no, they're girl skates, but we have some black ones and you're going to be special. And then you're offered like, I remember it was kind of obvious that I would be treated as a prince because figure skating badly needs boy to dance with the girls. So, um, and, and at that moment in the late 80s, beginning of the 90s, figure skating had a boost of popularity in Canada uh, because of reality TV. Okay. Uh, figure skating was the first reality TV, before Survivor, before Big Brother, before uh, So You Think You Can Dance and things like that. Figure skating already applied that model to television. Like, you know, the idea of boy next door, girl next door achieves something incredible and gets on TV and then we will follow like the big emotions, the failures, the success, little documentaries. So uh, I, I studied journalism and media and TV and that example in Canada is taught as like an historical invention of reality TV. And so because of that, skating was hugely popular. And there were a few stars that were very masculine, typical Canadian men. Mm. So uh, Elvis Toiko and Kurt Browning. Those two guys were world champions. They were first and second in the world, big in the Olympics. So they were big stars. They were even bigger stars than hockey players. And both were like tough men, like very masculine and... In that generation, many, many, many little boys started to figure skate because those role models were awesome. Yeah. So um, this is one of the things that convinced me to go into this. And um, my colleagues in Le Patin Libre are from the same generation as me. Same thing. We started to figure skate because we wanted to be like those guys on TV. And the whole system told us that we could do that because the system works like that. If you work hard, like get in our reality TV show, you're in it from the beginning, and you start being rewarded in all kinds of ways. And in 15 years, if you work hard enough, you'll be on TV, you too, and you'll be a star just like Elvis and Kurt. So this is why I got into it. Yeah, Yeah. wow. Similar to Billy Elliot. When Billy Elliot, the film, came out, the um, ballet boys school started you know, recruiting more boys because they wanted to... Yeah. Kind of gave them permission, I guess. Yeah, to... maybe. And what years did Billy Elliot came out? Uh, Early 2000s? Early 2000s, so it's Might a little bit more recent. Yeah. And there was really a surge of boys in ballet? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. There was a couple of years at um, the Royal Ballet School in London. Yeah. And even here in Australia where they had more boys than girls for the first time Because ever. of that film. Wow. Yeah. A lot of dance scholars call it the Billy Elliot effect. Cool. Which saw the kind of rise in boys taking up ballet and classical All right. Dance. Yeah. So do you feel that... Is um, skating still very gendered in that way? Yeah, it's absolutely gendered because the standardized performance, uh, one of the most standardized performances that is the most successful on TV is pairs and dance, a duo, a boy and a girl dance together. And it replicates the, 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 Disney, uh, the Disney dream, prince and princess. It's, that's the model. It's, uh, this is why Disney on Ice is so successful. Like figure skating is this medium to give life to that uh, fantasma.
it's a it's a it's a phantasm of so many people in in the, the Western world that the the prince and the princess. So you need both, and because it's a popular thing, whereas ballet is more elitist, you'll have more urban educated audience going in ballet. Figure skating is more popular. It's more for suburbia. And you see it with where are the rinks, and you see it with how is the publicity done. You see it with what kind of products are promoted with the media products of figure skating. What kind of cars are promoted by ballet, you'll have like high-end luxury cars, and what kind of cars are promoted by figure skating, you'll have minivans. Yeah, so okay. th it's very, very different like that. And for this audience that figure skating aims, to be successful, uh, you have to show certain things. And I'm from that world of uh, very conservative suburbia, and uh, gender diversity is not is not something popular or wished by that audience. So uh, this is why it was so successful in the late '80s when Kurt and Elvis came, because finally you had men that respected what suburbia wants of a man in figure skating. Then boom, it went it went popular. Has it shifted? It has shifted back to what I think figure skating naturally is. Um, figure skating, I think, naturally draws more uh, sexual diversity within men uh, because uh, there it, it's a realm of self-expression. It touches to aesthetic uh, quest. Um, and... Or I don't know why it just happens. It just is like that. There are there's there's more homosexual men in figure skating than in normal society, and um, it's very strange because uh, figure skating tends to hide that. So those men are often like in the media. They're very powerful and manly, and nobody knows they they might be gay because it would not be good for ratings. Because my mom, she doesn't want. Gay man, she, she wants like a good man, like manly, but not too much like Prince Charming. Yeah, wow. So if you would say to everybody that Prince Charming is gay, like the 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 wannabe princess will step phantasm, their phantasm about him. Yeah. So that's uh, that's put on the figure skating man a lot. So uh, actually, in the national team, when I was a member of it, we had media training, and it was like clearly explained that. Our sexual orientation is not a subject of discussion. We should not talk about that. That we could talk about our intimate relations in two cases: having a kid or getting married. And in that time in Canada, the homosexual marriage was not existing, so it was really clear what they meant. It's like if you're gay, we don't care, but shut up, yeah, because wow. that's not the TV product that we're selling. Yeah, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, like the American <laughs> Army. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, it was quite interesting. When I saw your show, it attracted such a broad audience of people. That, yeah, um, especially in the weekends. We have a very large, diverse audience. It's great. Well, I, yeah, I saw all these people wearing um, hockey, um, ice hockey T-shirts. Yeah. Um, and some of them from regional areas. Mm. And you can't imagine that they would come in for other arts events. Maybe I'm making assumptions here. But do you find your work is kind of attracting a different audience that yeah. maybe... and we, we strive for that actively, and naturally that's also it. First, I was saying skating is a popular medium, so uh, it's enjoyed by, I think, a wider segment of population than contemporary dance, which is more urban, 
uh, elitist. And there's also the fact that like uh, the iSport community are really passionate about the medium. So often they will be curious about this weird thing they don't know about that comes at the ice rink. They're not curious about it because Melbourne Festival presents it. They're curious about it because it's in their venue. The, the, the ice rink is their home. Or like it plays the role in their life of like the local pub for uh, other kinds of people. So this audience comes. And uh, because there's not that many ice rink in Australia, it goes on a large territory. And uh, also what we do... Um, I think is is easier to promote kind of objectively. Like a very contemporary dance performance, you have to tell people, like, open your heart, there's a poetry in it, I hope you'll be sensible to it. Uh, just, it's subjective. Us too, I hope you enjoy the poetry and it's subjective, but objectively, man, we skate fast, we jump well, we're like kick-ass skaters. Like, and this is objective. It could yeah. be mathematically measured so i think people leaves us a chance because of that there's this respect they're virtuoso they're good skaters we're going to go see it and that's the doors that open and then i wish i hope and i know it works often and then uh, some of them are sensible to our poetry and have a, a real enjoyment of a, of what we propose but all of them, especially if they have a skating culture, like they, they appreciate the objective quality of our skating. Just as um, you could convince people to go see classical ballet the same way, like mm. like uh, you would uh, approach like any athlete and like okay, maybe they don't like the style, they don't like the story, they don't like the poetry of classical ballet, but hey, they're great athletes. This this is obvious. So that's also maybe why ballet is still more popular and consumed, at least in North America, than contemporary dance. Well, this says maybe something about me, but when I arrived at the venue and looked around and I saw the, um, the lines on the ice for yeah. ice hockey, the officers behind, the banners, there was mm. the Australian flag hanging in the corner, yeah. and I was thinking, looking through perspex, I was like, how is this going to work? This, this just seems so foreign yeah. as a performance space and then the poetry and what you did actually completely converted the space into something else yeah but we also work hard with lighting sound the way like we try to create an ambience like we're conscious of that ice rinks are not theaters they're gymnasiums the fact that there's an ice is purely uh, uh, accessory like it's a gymnasium it's made for sport and um Vertical Influences has been created thinking of that. We knew that we would be presenting that in gymnasium, and I don't really know how to explain it, but the, the piece of art fits in that concept. It was created there. That's also where we train, where we create, where we do our research. So it's made for that. We're already thinking about the next piece, and uh, we will have more support and capacity for the next piece, and we're already thinking about blackboxing it or creating our own venues and different space because it's easy to pitch an ice rink anyway, anyway with some kind of machinery. So we're already thinking to go somewhere else, but vertical influence fits perfectly in the gymnasium. Well, it's something about the gymnasium that also makes it such an attractive proposition to people who attend that venue yeah. for other events. Yeah. So it's, you know, like it is such an appropriate venue for attracting the broadest possible yeah audience it really works well it was just in my in my head i was like how am i going to 
completely be absorbed mm. into this and with then all the, this other stuff happening. And then the artsy urbans, they have to make a real effort to come there. Like, my God, we're going to go in the Docklands. We'll have to go through that shopping mall, which makes it like difficult for artsy urban to come. So I'm, I'm really thankful to them for making that effort. But in another way, being there makes it possible very easy for family that will go shopping that day at the Docklands Shopping Center. And then, boom, they take two hours away from their shopping and they go see that show and, and they experience something different. So it's really cool. It's good like that. And in Australia, it's the first time we play here, uh, the figure skating community show great interest and support. And uh, we had Facebook conversation with them. We gave a workshop for them. So uh, we really succeeded to reach that audience here, which, which is really great. And, uh, and it's not something that we succeed everywhere. Uh, in Canada, we didn't succeed yet to reach to this audience that we are from because they see us as uh, rebels. Yeah. And we are. We are figure skating rebels. And um, in, in Canada, we're still barred. Uh, figure skaters don't come see our show. So here, those people were here. So it's almost... a bigger success than what we do in Canada. In terms of, you mentioned making a new work and your next work, how, how do you go about making the work? Is it a collaborative process? Yeah. Is it you coming with a set of ideas? How do you... It uh, starts with movement research and this is very collaborative and organic. Uh, we take time off from touring and we just play on the ice. Then some of the members of the collective, we're five, come with certain ideas, then this moves into like exploration as a group, and it grows, it grows, and then we still have to, to fine-tune this method because we're still kind of a new artistic collective, but then there, there is like a process of self-analysis of all those movement experience and asking ourselves what does it mean and where can we go from there. Uh, so that's the process. and. Um, for Vertical Influence, for the first time, we had a dramaturge involved uh, because we were feeling kind of lost at some point in this self-analysis of our stuff. And Ruth Little, she's Australian, uh, she came in and brought some kind of light to what, we saw, to what we were doing. We were able to see it much better with her analysis. And it was almost a psychoanalysis of our life in this strange world of figure skating and what we lived and, and then... And then she looked at our skating, and then we spent lots of time with her. So that's what Vertical Influence came from. I was watching the unison and the stuff you were doing so close together and with such speed. And it made me think of the Australian Olympian, Stephen Bradbury, who won a gold medal, the first Olympic gold medal um, for Australia ever. And he was basically the last man standing. Everybody else, one person fell over and took everybody out. And in what sport? Uh, it was speed skating. And speed skating. Yeah, so the Australian was coming last. Well and then everybody last. kind of... Everyone else stacked it. And so he <laughs> came through and won gold. And it's in the... Um, it's called like doing a Bradbury. Which a is, Bradbury. You know, like it's kind of in the popular wow. vocab, I guess. Um, but watching you guys so close and so together does it still feel oh there's an aspect of danger to it uh i i think i have one video of it like normally the worst is when the person inside the curve falls then gets everybody if you're outside the curve and you fall you fall on your own but it happened at least once i have the video of it and it's like dangerous and then 
blades fly and, and you're at 40 kilometers an hour and then there's the wall coming. So there is an aspect of danger, but um, ver in vertical influence, when we do it in front of the public, we are far from our limit. So it's very controlled. It still looks very impressive, but we could push the speed quite higher and then we would be playing with danger. But we, we don't put this in the show because we're looking for <laughs> something else in the yeah. show. But um, uh, yeah, the, uh, but th there is truly that, that, that possibility. Skating is fragile. Yeah. yeah. Do you get that sense of adrenaline hit, like, yeah. in doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's why, we, it's why I skate. It's, uh, at the base, before skating being an artistic quest for me, it was just that adrenaline thing. The same reason why people go surf or ski is that uh, you escape your condition through glide. Humans normally must do this, must walk uh, one foot after the other to go through space. With skating or with motorcycle or surf or ski, you're just in that one position, like going through space really fast and that creates adrenaline rush. It's why people want to fly since the beginning of time and we get it through skating and uh, yeah it's awesome like taylor a guy of the collective describes it very well saying that it's a grounded flight it's so yes there is constantly that adrenaline rush with it and now it goes even further like being in front of an audience and having that second adrenaline rush of performance and the sense of a uh, being like a living poem almost and yeah truly believing in what's in that poem but being it physically so there's that beautiful moment in the second piece where you're coming from right up the other end of the the rink and you're coming with speed yeah. towards the audience and it's probably i don't know how fast it is but it looks <laughs> quite fast you're moving very yeah, it's quickly like 30, into the 40, audience you know? <laughs> yeah. and then stopping and that reaction in the audience you know that kind of thing is really quite I, I don't know, it gives a sense of that adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, they, they have it. And then there's a release because they see that we, we stop before them safely. So then they laugh. And that laughing is not because it's funny as a joke. It's that release of tension of like we're not scared anymore. I think it's a, it's a, there's lots of it that's from that. And apparently there's a part in the brain that the only thing it does is uh, find objects that are going toward you. Because humans who developed that were less hit by rocks or whatever. So we have this inside us, like object coming toward me and we spot it. So we play with that reflex in vertical because we come straight at the audience many times. And when the lighting make it such that we see their face, there's definitely a... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so close. And so yeah. you're sitting right on yeah. the ice. So yeah. the people that are at the front, it's... Field, it looks so close. Yeah, they feel the air, they get the uh, And even sitting at the back, you're kind of uh, reacting for their safety as well. Which is, yeah, yeah. Really but it's, it's all very safe because um, we're, we're used to, to that speed and everything and we're far from our limits. But uh, I understand the sense of danger that is perceived by the audience because they're not used to skating and, and especially because it's dark, it's a new environment for them. They're already like on shaky grounds almost and, yeah and apparently we look bigger than we are because especially for people in the front row they are very low they're sitting right down and low yeah. a yeah. guy after the show told me like oh i thought he was uh, taller than that 
because he was sitting sit down <laughs> yeah. and I had my skate, so two inch more. Yeah, yeah four inch four more. Four inch more, but no, I'm very small, really. But it was like, oh, basically. In terms of contemporary dance, most of them would do classes in a range of different things from yoga, Pilates, to classical ballet, to contemporary dance, different yeah. styles. Well, I see different dancers with different, completely different background, yeah. Yeah. It's so very diverse. How do you train? Like how, obviously... Very differently in the collective. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm kind of a purist and I try to motivate myself to find pleasure in classes and other kinds of dance and everything and I tried a few times but it's never better than skating. Like so because my time of performance is limited because I also have to manage the company I'm like if I have an hour for movement I just want to skate or if I don't go skate I do rollerblade. <laughs> so I'm always and that's what I like. But I'm, it's not the same for everybody. Taylor is a lot into martial arts, so he constantly trains his kung fu and katas, and 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 it influences his way to move. Pascal does circus arts, uh, aerial stuff, uh, quite a lot at a high level, and uh, Samori uh, tries many t forms of dance. So uh, I think he's the most versatile in the group. Uh, Jasmine too, the one on hockey skates. He does like house dance, he does like social dance, like swing and things like that. But me, I'm really like, all I want to do is skate. And so I've read that you don't actually describe what you do as dance per se. That it's kind of its own... Um, thing. It's its own thing. Yeah, I like to, to describe it as contemporary ice skating. I understand person who describe it as contemporary dance on ice and uh, I could have a good argument with them uh, and I recognize that their position is valid that to call what we do contemporary dance because it's movement for beauty dance and then it's uh, it's now <laughs> contemporary and it's on ice right but I don't like to describe it like that because uh, um, for me the so where did our thing reach modernity? It didn't find its modernity where dance found its modernity. Dance found its modernity. I don't really know where, like, when they started to go away from stories and costumes and more into pure movement uh, a long time ago. And us, we've, it's not there that we found our modernity. It's in just gliding. The, the moment that expresses the best in the show is probably at the beginning of Influence. We're just standing as a pack, and we don't move. We're just standing there but we glide through the space, and this is our modernity. So because it's different than from dance, like dancers just standing there doing nothing, I don't know, it would be some kind of like minimalist theater or something. So we're something different than contemporary dance. It's contemporary ice skating, it's its own thing. And also because, um, especially when we try to promote our stuff where it's not big elitist artistic festival that have already uh, like cultivated an audience and everything when we have to reach the general audience to survive really like we often before festival invited us when we were not known we self-promoted so we rented rinks and then we sell tickets and uh, we did that for many years and branding it as contemporary dance is bad for marketing like <laughs> contemporary dance is often seen as elitist 
boring, austere snub by this very large section of the public. I don't agree with that, but this is what they think. And we needed their support to make our project exist, and we knew that we could please them. So, and if we would have called our stuff contemporary dance, snub, elitist, artsy fartsy, hipsters in towns, it's not for us. So then being instead just, it's just an ice skating show. Mm. And we even said that at some point, didn't even use the word contemporary. Then we were able to reach those families and they came and they had a great time. And so what does contemporary dance need to do? Because that's a, that's a critique that a lot of my friends and peers have of contemporary dance about it being elitist, inward-looking. Quit um, universities. Get out of universities. It's dead. It's just dance. Like, university, you're, you're in a classroom studying what dance was 10 years ago, and you're wasting that precious time where you could cultivate your relation to your body and, and to performance and... Uh, we were refused completely in Canada by the world of academic dance. There's very strong uh, contemporary dance uh, faculties in, in Montreal, and they completely refused us. And for me, like their position is might be interesting for themselves, but culturally it will die because they spend so much time talking and analyzing and writing documents that they don't cultivate this their dance. Meanwhile, in Zone 2, of the cities, urban dance is exploding. It's diversity, it's virtuosity, it's poetic quality, and I'm a huge fan of urban dance. And they don't read books about dance, and they don't spend time like doing weird, silly exercise about like this will happen if you form a collective, and then you cultivate your performance at some time when it's time to do so. The intellectual stuff will happen. We're actually living that challenge now talking about like the what happens to your soul through dancing state of body and then it would be useful to read Chekhov and to read Isrin and things like that but it's been 10 years we're exercising 4 hours a day 5 hours a day like technique and show and we did uh, street shows in the street trying to collect money in our ads impressing people doing flips and things and that's i think part of the process of being a dancer and what I see in university is people with almost no physical training, no physical virtuosity at all. It takes 10,000 hours to do anything good, whether it is music, playing an instrument, uh, singing, uh, I don't know, welding. If you want to be a good welder, do 10,000 hours of welding and that's it. And those contemporary dancers, they don't do their 10,000 hours of dancing. They do 10,000 hours of writing things about dance and reading things about dance. Learn how to uh, Yeah, learn how to ask for grants, because uh, economically this is the lifeline of that domain, so Darwinism makes it such that the, the writing folks that succeed and that teach the next generation, so there's this kind of like academic inbreeding that the results it gives are interesting, and I, li I look at it and I learn from it, but if I would not be a professional performer, there's absolutely no interest in it. Like, Do you reckon they'll catch up and soon you'll be studied? Have you ever considered what will happen potentially in 10 years' time? Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't think it's the goal. But it just has jazz. 
jazz, when it happened, there was already people trying to do contemporary music, weird experiments at the same time, uh, like late uh, late 1900s and everything. And then like they were doing weird experiments, trying to subvert classical music in very academical ways. Like meanwhile in bordellos, jazz, and then it became that extremely poetic thing. And like what Louis Armstrong did, I think, is as important as what Beethoven did. And like and then. After a, a, a century, then jazz is taught in university and it's becoming kind of like, it's dying. Like there's no more, in Montreal, I think there's one jazz tavern left, like, and it's falling, it's falling apart. And you would never get with hip hop into a university. So meanwhile, in zone two, hip hop is going on and crazy new ways to use sound and language and, and, and um, harmonies and things. So. I think it's that kind of cycle, and I'm really happy of where we are in this cycle. So when you look for people to dance with or skate with, what are you looking for? Uh, rebel figure skaters. So it's the figure skaters that are not satisfied with the opportunities offered to them, uh, which is competing. So this means executing standardized ability for points that are not happy with the uh, show business opportunities. So one side there is the ice shows for kids. The best one in the world is Disney on ice. And on the other side, there is entertainment for adults on ice, which is basically hypersexualization and uh, like, it's a pastiche of the Lido de Paris. So this is holiday on ice. And uh, it's a very good industry. It's very profitable. Skaters make good money if you're good. So the weirdos that want to quit that have a good reason for doing so. And I'm always interested to hear about it. So the very rare thing we are looking for is those rebels, but rebels that have the 10,000 hours of skating. So often it doesn't match, because if you have that frame of mind at 13 years old, you're like, <laughs> fuck that, I'm going out of here, I don't want to be a princess. So then you need those years between 13 and 20 to cultivate that 10,000 hours of virtuosity. So basically it's like kind of like, I don't know, uh, what kind of people is both kind of rebel enough, but kind of perseverant enough to stick with the traditional training? It's very rare. Yeah. This is why we're a small form. We're only five in the group. And honestly, the, the skaters I have in mind now that, let's say, could replace us if one of us get injured, I could count them on the fingers of one end. Like, we have one understudy ready, and he's one of my friends from Montreal, and... and there's not much other people. Many skaters send me emails and everything, but I see that what they're looking for is show business. They, they want to shine, and with a little discussion about, hey, what's skating to you? And la, 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 I understand that they would not be happy in our collective. They're looking for kind of the same opportunity as in figure skating. So we look for the skating rebels, which are very rare. Yeah. So what's next for the company? A new show. Uh, so... Uh, uh, we want to have it ready in the winter of 2018. Um, and uh, right now, it's a very difficult process of choreographic research. And, um, and uh, we're thinking a lot about the state of body now. Uh, what happens? State of body is strange to explain. Like It's kind of a relation between body and soul and what happens. And I think... Glide allows new state of body to emerge mm. that would not be accessible to circus artists or to dancers. 
Uh, so it's that uh, difficult process of research and creation for the new show happening now. Yeah. So in terms of glide, you mean in, um, moving across the ice? Yeah, it's moving across the ice. It's glide. It could be something else than ice. Like I live it also on roller skates, but surfers live it too. It's the it's cutting the link between uh, locomotion, between going through space and uh, the organic movement of the human body for locomotion, which is not very varied. And there's walking, running, jumping, crawling, cartwheeling, and that's dance. And so we want to avoid those things and, and just be standing there or doing weird position but still go through space. So this is where we get our kick and our fun. But that's what's interesting for audience and people interested by new choreography. And um, then, so it's weird because we sculpt choreography in the new show. We're more conscious of what we're doing. It's dancers think about the movement of their body. And often, as a consequence, their body moves on the stage. For us, it's the inverse. We're writing movement across our huge sta stage. And as a consequence of this speed and trajectory, we try to let our body react in a in different ways. So often it's like looking for aerodynamism. So the back goes like that and, uh, and uh, looking for um, economy of energy and pure effort. And I think there's beauty in, there's beauty in that, that kind of very organic way to create body and movements through tra trajectory, like birds do. Birds are beautiful. They just want to go through space. They place their wing like that because it's efficient. So we, they're, they're, right now we do lots of research on that. Beautiful. Mm. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this last episode of Season 1 of Delving Into Dance. I strongly encourage you to seek out the work of Lipate Lupera. It really is something quite unique and really well worth checking out. Online you'll find a list of links and episode notes, as well as previous episodes with the likes of Deborah Jowett, Stephanie Lake, Gideon Obazanik, amongst others. They can be found at delvingintodance.com. Do me a favour and help get the word out. Share these podcasts with your friends, subscribe and leave a review on your preferred platform. Until next time, thank you and take care.